So I told you that there was an extinction 60 million years ago because of an asteroid that wiped out the topsoil, that acidified the oceans. And we lost 95% of life. And Mother Earth never tried to reinvent that because at that moment, everything went into the spiritual realm. Everything went into pure light form. Every dinosaur, every bat, every fish in the sea, full state, full light being state, instantly. And that collective energy looked down back on this little blue speck and said, wow, so much more potential. Let's do deciduous trees. Let's do flowering plants. Let's do mammals. Let's do humans. The energy of the brontosaurus is in us. The energy of the woolly mammoth is in us. The energy of all living life is in us. It is animating the energy on this planet. It looks back and sees nothing but possibility, opportunity. Welcome to Where Hope Grows, a podcast curated to tell the inspiring stories of land stewards, ranchers, and farmers who are on the front lines of the regenerative revolution. Interweaved with wisdom inspired by Mother Nature, these journeys are testaments to her capacity for healing ourselves, our agricultural systems, and our planet. This is Where Hope Grows. Hey, everyone. This is Taylor Collins, and you are listening to Where Hope Grows. This podcast is brought to life by the support of Force of Nature, Rome Ranch, and of course, the grace and beauty of Mother Nature. Today's episode has been sitting in the Where Hope Grows fermentation chamber, transforming, becoming more complex, becoming more relevant, and becoming more beautiful just like a perfectly dry-aged bison ribeye steak. Now, this live recording from Dr. Zach Bush was recorded as the closing remarks at our first annual What Good Shall I Do conference, which takes place right here at Rome Ranch. And this speech is perhaps one of the greatest unscripted presentations I have ever witnessed. In fact, Zach went into such a profound, deep, flow state that it seemed as if he was uploading our human journey to a higher source of light, a power to which we all belong, yet whose sum is far greater than the parts. This beautiful story into the flow of infinite energy transformed conference attendees into regenerative beings who knew no limits into their own potential as well as their own beauty. I am so excited to share this incredible story into our species past, present, and future state in which humanity will inevitably soar. And with that, I give you Dr. Zach Bush. This masculine and feminine energy of structure and flow, structure and flow is the way the universe works. It's the way your body exists at the atomic level. What we've done as a society is to only put value on the structure. And so we have a masculine archetype society that's become the dominant force for tens of thousands of years on the planet. We've certainly had nodes of, of feminine energy that have kept us alive as a species. We've had bright shining stars and we've had a trickle from every mother that's ever been out there. I loved listening to this panel 
and listening to these women up here who are speaking, I feel from the womb. <laughs> they are speaking from the womb of humanity. When you hear a mother speak about regeneration, they're not talking about soil management, they're talking about the survival of their grandchildren and they feel an energetic connection to that reality. It's why the vast majority of farms that have made the transition towards Regen Organic are doing it by the encouragement and vision of a woman saying, I can't tolerate this current behavior in my home. I can't be a part of this system. That is the feminine flow state coming back into humanity. We are going to have to start to embrace a balance between the feminine and masculine energies within ourselves if we're going to start to express a society that's going to become balanced. And one of the coolest things that we learned down in Ecuador last summer when we were down there with the Achuar tribe, which was the last indigenous people to be touched by industrialized civilization in 1996, and the very first indigenous peoples that we're aware of that actually reached out to touch industrialized civilization rather than simply invasively intervened upon. The reason they reached out through their dream work, they're called the dream people. They've been in the same area of Southern Ecuador and Northern Peru for 40,000 years, living in the rainforest down there. And they call themselves the dream people because they work entirely through telepathic communication with the rainforest and with one another and with other you know, tribes around them historically uh, through dream work and inviting other groups into their lives through dreams. And they did that to Lynn Twist uh, in 1996. And they started to show up in her dreams and ultimately brought her uh, to Ecuador through seemingly a bunch of random states of incidents that brought her to Ecuador. And when she stepped out of the boat after days of travel and saw the faces that she had been dreaming for the last few months, she realized something really special was unfolding. And that became Pachamama Alliance, which has changed a lot of our lives in the room. Uh, the group that started Kiss the Ground uh, were heavily affected by uh, their experience down in Ecuador with Lynn's team 20 years ago. Our farmer's footprint team was heavily affected by it last year uh, being down there. And it's affected you know thousands of others that have gone on these trips down into that space. But one beautiful message that got brought back from Ecuador is that they have a prophecy of this time. And it's one of the reasons they reached out to touch the West is they knew that they had to help the West redream their reality or all of humanity would go extinct. So then this tribe deep in the rainforest has seen the end of civilization. They've seen the end of humanity. And so I can sit here and show you the science around 60 to 80 years of extinction. But these people have seen it. And they saw what caused it. And it is us. And that's sobering on a level that, that helped me understand the crisis at a deeper cellular level than I'd ever been before. I think in me even, there was an abstract quality to it. But when you find out that a prophetic group of people that have been dreaming the future for 40,000 years has now seen the event of our own disappearance, it ups the stakes. And they have a prophecy about this decade that we're in, that in this decade, there'd be a new wing opening up for humanity. And they have, uh, I think it's the, the eagle and the condor, the two birds I believe that they have in their ethos, uh, the eagle being the masculine wing uh, that has been beating since the beginning of civilization. And because the bird has only had one wing, it's been flying in circles. 
And in this time, the condor, the feminine, would open its wing. And for the first time in human history, the species would fly straight. If you're human in the last two years, you have become very upset at the cellular level of the circles you've been flying in. It has been the most tumultuous time for relationships. It has been the most tumultuous time for immediate families and the tensions there and the weight there. We have seen millions of humans decide to jump at this time out of the body. Oftentimes at unexpected timelines, seemingly. It is interesting that if you look at uh, our global population, it did not slow down during the pandemic. At no point was there any evidence that we actually were losing more people than we had before. Same rate of death, same rate of growth. In fact, we got older as a population. So it wasn't like we lost all of our elders to the pandemic. That didn't happen. We actually got you know 0.8 years older as a global population, which means that we had many more elders on hand. So the story and the narrative that we heard about the pandemic wiping out our elders and all this on the global level is not true. But at the personal level, it was very true. We saw people jumping, elders, young people jumping, seemingly maybe related to a pandemic, maybe not, doesn't matter. But we saw people jumping out by suicide. And we saw the highest rates of sexual abuse, highest rates of uh, injury to drug abuse and substance uses there, but also from domestic violence. We've never seen more child abuse in a single year than we saw in 2020. We plunged 300 million families globally into poverty, 300 million new households in poverty. And all of you are feeling the tension under the skin of that, that skin crawling feeling of I'm not on my freaking path. Show me the path, please. Show me the path. We're obeying for it. The cellular level we want to know, please God, please universe, please mother nature, show us the freaking path because we are running out of coping mechanisms. We are running out of patience. We are running out, we are exhausted of dealing with each other as humans. The great minds that have shaped the world that we live in have over and over again told us some, some amazing truths about it. And everybody can think of that, that was like genius level, you know, influencer on us from Einstein to Mark Twain to Elon Musk. Uh, Elon Musk said it most recently, and so he gets credit for it, of course. But uh, he, he said recently, maybe a couple weeks ago in, in the media, he said that the biggest crisis in human history is that those that are about to change the world and give up had no idea how close they were. And so while I recognize it's been said many times before him, I'm grateful that he's brought it back to our attention because it's, the sentence itself speaks to our current condition of exhaustion. And if you've seen Elon Musk in some of his longer form conversations, you can feel his exhaustion. The thought leaders are exhausted of being thought leaders. The thought leaders are exhausted of seeing their own failures. The thought leaders are exhausted. You know, the, the 
the couple people that formed the the one percent for the planet movement to try to get corporations to start to put money towards ecological projects recognize how horrifically short the whole thing fell and they're exhausted and they don't know exactly where to put their energies next and so we see an utter exhaustion across humanity and i believe i can meet you each there in that energy I hit a level of exhaustion last night after such an elated day of being with you all, feeling truth come through me as it tends to not get from my mind, but some other place. And at the end of that day, I could hit a crisis moment, crisis of hope, crisis of trust and humanity. And, and that, that moment was very indicative of our whole condition. So as I fell asleep last night, feeling this deep cellular exhaustion and sensing how much you know distance we seemingly need to go, I woke up feeling great this morning again. I woke up feeling renewed and there was a fresh energy in the air that overcast this morning. And I felt in myself a, a new flow and a new energy that was not for me. I didn't generate it overnight. I didn't have some dream that encouraged me overnight. I simply woke up with new energy flowing through my grid. And so I want you to recognize that that grid inside of you is not from you. You are of it. What does it mean to be a created being? It means that you are an organization of energy out of the vacuum space of that grid that has become organized for a moment to a vibration that is you. You have your own unique vibration. You've never woken up one morning of your life thinking you were Zach Bush, nor I, you. We know ourselves at an atomic level. We haven't figured out where in the brain we would hold any sense of self-identity. It's not there. We don't have a self-identity center that can be lost in the brain. It's not a neurologic thing to know who you are. It is an atomic event. It is vibrational. Your soul, if we can call it that, if you're comfortable with that or your concept of an energy center, is a coherent vibrational field that is more coherent than anything you've ever seen in the physical plane. It is a complete mathematical truth of vibration, and there is no incoherence in that vibrational soul. And it has chosen to animate you from that grid of vacuum space by pouring feminine energy through the masculine grid. The masculine holds the form and the possibility and the feminine pushes in the energy that creates it. And so you're sitting here vibrating in your own self and you know who you are at a deep, deep level. So keep your eyes closed or close them again and just feel into who are you. Who are you? What does that feel like to find that vibration? A generative future is as far away as that awareness of who is your vibration. That's all the further we have to go to realizing a completely different humanity for our children, for ourselves. If you have stopped listening deep enough to know yourself, then you can't participate very effectively in a regenerative, let alone a generative future. If you want to know the opportunity that sits in front of you when you leave this conference, your opportunity is to start to hear yourself more clearly. 
your opportunity is to stop listening to podcasts that Zach is doing. You've heard enough from me. There's all the things that I could possibly ever say on a podcast is already known in the atomic field that I just described. You are in touch with the entire traverse of the knowledge field out there and our egoic, masculine, unbalanced world of the civilization we live in has tried to convince you that you are not connected to all that energy and you do not have a core sense of self. And the world is very eager to, to give you a definition of who you are by external forces, by external roles, and it is diminishing your vibration. And so we see women with their core body temperature one and a half degrees below core body temperature ideals, which means every enzyme slows down, which means the mitochondria slow down, which means the amount of solar energy you release in your body diminishes and your lights start to go out because somebody gave you a role. And the most potent of those is the word mother. It will eliminate a woman's self-identity instantly if the world has its way with you. But the, the experience of being mother, the experience of being father is an entry point to finding self. Because the one thing that you have to come to terms with as a parent, if you really honestly stop and look into the eyes of your children, is they did not come from you. They are so much bigger than you. And that forces you to then ask, where did you come from if you didn't come from your parents? What is your divine bloodline? What is the divine source of life within you? And then you have to deal with that frightful moment of feeling how huge you are, how powerful you are. Yesterday, I talked about sitting down with your partner looking into their eyes and asking forgiveness for all the ways in which you've diminished them by superimposing the past experience with them on your concept of who they are today. Today, I'm going to ask us to ask the much deeper forgiveness of, I am sorry, I have not been completely myself. And let's start talking over dinner tables and car rides and everything else. How do we take the freaking lid off? How do we take the lid off of these boxes so we can start to flow the feminine nurture, the feminine reality of energy through our systems at a more robust rate? In my own experience, my level of joy and the light I can have is directly related to how much of the feminine flow I can get into my body. And this has sent me on a pretty destructive path in my own life over the last year and a half. It has forced me to relook at my entire spiritual understanding that my religion handed me because my religion handed me an extraordinarily masculine archetype of what God is. It was always a he, it was always father, it was always this, that. We had all these words on it. If you really look into the lives of those that have shaped the religious world, they never expressed a masculine dominant archetype. We were drawn to them for their feminine flow state. And interestingly, you think of what are the like toughest, strongest, most masculine 
specimens that we have on the planet. And you go watch the Olympics and you think, I'm going to watch these extreme athletes go do their masculine things of, you know, jumping over buildings or doing flips off of whatever. And you realize when you watch them that none of them are doing some sort of masculine force. They're all experiencing the power of flow state. Force versus power. It's a great book written with that title. But it's more important that you come to understand that at the atomic level. Society has been forcing ourselves forward with a masculine hammer, trying to hammer ourselves into this nature that we live within, trying to hammer back the weeds, trying to hammer back the trees, trying to met out a little bit of space for our homestead instead of being in the flow state with nature. And so what you're doing as you start to adopt even tiny footsteps towards a regenerative management is you're opening up flow possibility within your own behavior towards your land, towards your food, towards your cooperative relationship to a consumer industry and the, and the like. And so as we sit here at a Renourish event, we should recognize and celebrate that what we're really doing is we're starting to open up the second wing of humanity. We're starting to let that open up in our own hearts and minds so we can fly straight for the first time. The amount of heartbreak that you've done on your partner, your life partners, your friends, your colleagues, by flying in circles all these years around them is pretty terrific. It's a pretty terrific amount of trauma that we can play out on one another. We do it emotionally, we do it spiritually, sometimes unfortunately we do it physically. We are a traumatic thing to be around when we are beating in circles with one wing desperately trying to stay afloat. We're all exhausted from the one wing journey. And so I want to meet you in your exhaustion and acknowledge it that, man, even on your best days, it can just take one conversation from your mom or from somebody else in your church calls up and it just deflates your entire system. And it's really scary because just a moment ago, you felt pretty damn good. You felt like you were at your best and you realize a second later, I'm right on the freaking brink of the cliff still. There is no comfort zone. I am not having any reservoir of coping mechanisms here. One conversation can take me to the brink and I'm thinking about either killing my mother or suicide. You know, like I can't handle being in the same place as other humans. We're that close, which means that we're perfectly positioned to change our behavior because humans don't tend to change their behavior unless they're hitting the freaking wall. Unfortunately, we all hit the wall at the same time this last two years. And the most loving thing that we can do for one another is communicate. We need to open up to one another and say, I'm freaking scared right now because I can hardly keep myself afloat. And I'm feeling a lot of self-imposed responsibility to my kids or to you as my partner or to my community or to my employees or to the animals that I am taking care of on this farm. And I don't think I have the bandwidth to take care of them because I am barely keeping my, my mouth above the waterline right now. And that just feels good to say. Whew, freaking exhausted. I have this ache in my chest today that wasn't here yesterday when I was talking to you. I'm a fragile human being on the brink. 
but I'm also a massive energy field, a soul showed up right now with a sense of purpose that my human is just starting to get a glimpse of. But my soul is fucking vibrant and it's on fire somewhere in the universe. And it's animating me on a mission and a purpose that I don't have to worry about not being on because it's the only place I can be at any point in the grid. I'm always on my purpose. I'm always on my path, no matter how broken it looks. And maybe the brokenness is exactly the most important periods of time in your life. And so love the brokenness of yourself right now because it's giving a lot of room to rethink who you are. The old broken energies are giving you an opportunity to let it flow. I think about Australia when we start to talk about flow right now. We're getting these incredibly visible macro examples of where we're at as humanity. They had whole cities in Australia the last six weeks under 20 feet of water. Second story houses, you know, completely flooded for weeks. It wasn't like this flood moved through in a day for weeks. They had rained so hard in the, in the you know, New, New South Wales area, rained so consistently for the last 150 days. They, they saw sunshine for the first time just a couple of days ago. They have such severe mold problems going through those houses that didn't get flooded right now because there has been no sun. Nature went and flowed a whole hell of a lot of water through humanity. And our humans are suffering over there. They are utterly exhausted. Our Farmers Footprint Australia team is exhausted. We were supposed to launch that org about four weeks ago, and then the flood started happening. They were spending, you know, 18, 20 hours a day out on jet skis, saving animals out of attics, saving children and, and livestock that were drowning. 18, 20 hours a day, and then they, the only breaks they would take was to refuel the jet ski with fuel and grab some water to drink and then get back out there. Open sewage everywhere. Everything overflowed. Looking at the shit of humanity flowing through the streets 20 feet deep. Everybody's sick over there. It's going to take years for them to back out of the physical trauma of the water flow. And so when we resist the flow state, Mother Nature has checks and balances to push it back into us. She will flood us out with the, the, the creative energy of the feminine. And Mother Nature will take over and push us out, no problem. We're a blip on the radar of life on Earth, 200,000 years in the face of billions. But she seems so full of grace, too, that a farmer decides to do what they do. And one year later, streams are filling up that have been dry. Flow returns to a property. You guys are doing field day tomorrow. Are they going to get to see that part of the property? Strap on your happy suits, man. It is freaking awesome. You're going to get to see the bison. You're going to get to see these cliffs. You're going to get to see the water flowing in a riverbed that has long been dry. There's flow returning to this property because there's a group of humans that said, we're willing to step out of the way and manage energy flow. We'll be the ultra structure around nature for a moment instead of trying to micromanage her behavior. 
And immediately the flow state starts to return to a piece of land. And the bison have a lot to do with that because when you watch them tomorrow, you're going to see perfect flow among relationships. When one of them dies, I hope you get to hear in detail what happens. There is a flow state that resembles our human interpretation of grief. I don't think it probably is grief. I don't think they probably have emotions in the same way we do. Emotions seem to be a construct of our egoic mind. Instead, their interpretation of the energy of loss of a loved one is something more like reverence and a state of alertness that kicks into that herd because they know that life is in transition at that moment. All of the energy in that 2,000 pound animal is about to, sh to phase shift and about to go into the ethers and they want to be present and awake for that moment. And so the whole group does their dance and they interact with this spirit that's leaving the animal behind. I don't believe they have to go through anger and sadness and fear and all the, thing, the five stages of grief that we talk about in the human experience. That's our egoic mind telling us that it's an end point of anything and therefore we grieve it because we have a scarcity mindset about the existence of energy. Therefore, we have a scarcity mindset about the existence of life. And so we grieve in a very pathologic state of sense of insecurity. Animals don't grieve like that. And I found this out in spades when I was swimming off the coast of Mexico a couple of years ago. And uh, I found myself suddenly, you know, being approached by a huge sea creature. And I saw it, you know, I was, I was snorkeling. So I was, in, you know, looking through my mask and the water was kind of hazy that day. And I saw this silvery moving, fast moving thing coming at me. And I was, you know, it looked like a freight train coming. And I, my, my only thought is there's a whale coming and I'm only in like, you know, 15 feet of water. I'm like, this whale's going to beach itself right here. It's too big. It's like filling the entire space of the, the water column that I'm looking at. And it's coming at me at such ridiculous speed. And then within about six feet of my my person, I, my eyes suddenly have the ability to have an acuity as to what the light sunshine is actually illuminating. And it was millions of sardines. And they surrounded me a split second later. And so my brain got to say small silver fish and then boom, I'm in the midst of this cloud of silver fish. And I was in that cloud for over an hour and a half. I got so disoriented initially, like I kind of panicked as it was coming at me and I like turning around to swim and I ducked underwater, you know, in an effort to kind of get away with whatever was coming at me for a second. And in, in the next second, I was surrounded by silver fish and I didn't know, it immediately disoriented me so thoroughly, I didn't know how to get back to the surface of the water. And so I start running out of air really quickly, kind of kicking around and moving and trying to find out. And then I felt my hand uh, break surface. And it, even with my hand having broke surface for a second, I had to keep finding it a couple more times before I could figure out where to get my head out of these fish. At first, you know, that initial panic kind of settled down and I knew I was in an absolutely spectacular moment of, of that maybe I would never, I would certainly probably never see again, but maybe no other human was going to be able to experience in the years to come as we see the extinction of the of life within our oceans. And so I suddenly was very aware of the spiritual gift I was being given of just being present with these fish. 
settled down quickly and I was crying underwater in my mask and just so grateful for the beauty of these fish. And um, I, I was playing with them for a while. You can like, they know your energy field. And so they're about six inches from me around my whole body. And I would try to shoot my hand out as fast as I possibly could to touch one of these fish. And seemingly with no speed at all, they would simply get, make room for the space my arm would suddenly be in. And I'd pull it back and at the same seeming effortless way, they would fill the void behind my arm such that I never could see the, the shadow of my arm space. And so I was in this dynamic state of being completely in fish energy. And after 45 minutes, I went through very interesting versions of grief as I started to feel the intelligence of this being around me. And it wasn't millions of fish. It was simply the identity of fish. We are fish. I am fish. It is fish. All things are fish. So I'm going through that journey. And there was a couple times where I felt like I was losing my self-identity. And I'd have to check back in with myself. Is Am I still here? Or maybe I died. Maybe I drowned and this is a dream. I had to go through that journey. How do we know? Because this seems too surreal. After 40 minutes, like this can't still be happening. This is impossible. There's this many fish in the ocean, let alone right here. And they're moving past me in this cloud for all this time. And then towards the end of this experience, explosions of bubbles started happening around me. Massive explosions of tiny micro bubbles of air. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. It just looked beautiful. It looked like fireworks or something suddenly exploding underwater and micro bubbles everywhere. And after a few seconds, I looked up and or a few minutes, maybe looked up on, uh, on the surface and realized there were pelican feet all around me. And the explosions that I was seeing was the movement of pelicans diving into the water at such a speed that my eyes were not quick enough to neurologically register that there was even a body there, let alone a massive pelican that just shot through the water 18 inches from my face. And so these explosions of pelicans, for a moment I was concerned for myself, but I was like, I mean, worst case scenario, I get impaled with one of those beaks. I think I can probably survive, like it probably suck for a moment. But I was so elated at this point, I, I was like, this is just awesome. There's the pelicans and the sardines. And then it took me another couple seconds to register. Oh my God, my, we're losing fish. They're eating fish. And so I felt that human jerk back to, should I be grieving my new friends that I feel at one with? I figured out sardine energy and now they're dead. And I checked in. And there was absolutely not any vibration in the entire space of grief. Instead, as I realized that as soon as the bubbles started to happen, as soon as the explosion started to happen, I had felt an up-leveling of the energy within the entire school of fish. And they were in an elated state because as the bison go into this hyper-alert state, knowing one has dropped, there is a spirit dissipating from this body right now. We need to become super present because we can elevate with the spirit of our loved one. We can transpire higher. We can move all of us. The consciousness of the herd will for a moment be able to cross the veil between being bison and being spiritual, ever-present beings. And so when you learn from the bison tomorrow, or if you are blessed with a, a cloud of sardines, you will find out that they see transition not as an endpoint, but as an elevation of experience, a reconnection to source. 
I was very nervous to show up here because I was afraid for what I would feel. And I didn't know if I could handle the, the human emotion size of everything I'm logically able to understand about why we kill animals, why we eat, why we do this or that. I've been plant-based for a very long time, uh, eating mostly plants. And you know, last time I had red meat was 13 years ago or something like that. And so I'm picturing these animals. And la I, the only time I've seen bison before was wild out in the Yukon and, and down through Canada. I did a 5,000-mile five, road trip with my brother right, when he got back from Iraq to try to re help re him reground and, frankly, help me and my whole family reground into his experience of trauma uh, of being in the midst of the height of the war in 2002 for uh, kind of time frame and dealing with massive, you know, horrific things that we do to each other as humans. And the bison showed us something so extraordinary out there in nature about the ways in which they see uh, tribe and the way they create energy between generations and the way in which they hold reverence for one another. So I was nervous to come here. And then yesterday, being out in the bison last night was so such a, a humbling reminder of this egoic mind of mine that keeps wanting to step in to give me the grief emotions and everything else and start to think in a scarcity model of like, oh, the poor bison. No, screw that. No, there's no poor anything. It's a literally all infinite energy that is animating as a physical structure for a moment. And in its release of the physical structure, it goes straight back into its infinite beingness. And anything that would love that thing at the moment that is there because it can see the beauty of that animal, not love in the typical space of duty. Humans have transplanted the word love for duty for far too long. Responsibility is a fake thing. If we were responsible for anything, this little eight pounds, six pounds of gray matter in your head, if that was responsible for anything in the universe, we would not be here. Nothing would be here. This is not an intention of life. This is a, 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 an average CPU chip in nature. It is not the source of anything, just like the CPU chip we talked about yesterday is not the source of anything. And so we need to let go of the egoic journey of belief of death. And we need to let go of our belief and limited concepts of love. And we need to dig deep into this reality that the fabric of everything is coherent energy. And it only works if there is a balance between the masculine structure of possibility and the flow of feminine creation. That is who you are, an animated being of balanced masculine and feminine energy that has been thrown out of whack for thousands of years. And therefore, you have stored up much ancestral trauma because there has been abuse and suppression of the feminine archetype within our communities for generations. And so when we start to talk about the rise of the feminine, it is not a gender event. Certainly, we want to release womankind from the, the confines of mankind and its behaviors. But this is an energetic battle that we're fighting that has nothing to do with a fight. It is about surrender. So in the weirdest way, if we are going to win the game of generation or regeneration, it is going to be a game of surrender. How fast can you let go of the world's definition of your identity? And right now, you might think that you're a mother, and you might think that's pretty important. And you're going to have to take a deep look at yourself and realize that you are metricing the value of your soul by something else that isn't that soul. 
you are not appreciating your very source. You are not recognizing yourself as a miraculous energetic event that is called the animation of life. That's embarrassing for me. I've been lecturing on this stuff for years and when I was literally standing in a coffee line like eight months ago with my good buddy Patrick Tempo, For whatever reason, all the divine creatures of the universe always speak through Patrick when I'm waiting for him to order a coffee. And it's always ridiculous because I'm blubbering like snot coming out of my face and we're trying to order his coffee and my matcha latte. And I'm crying like there's no tomorrow. And the person's always like, my God, must have just lost his mother. Or, you know, like, no, Patrick just said something to me. And what Patrick said to me eight months ago, Zach, he put his hand on the thing. I just heard this thing yesterday and I think it's, it would mean something to you. You need to write yourself a massive permission slip that begins with the word, please forgive me. And write this to your soul, please forgive me for having put so many things before you, before I would recognize your own beauty, my own beauty. I just wept because I was at a vulnerable state of change in my personal life and everything else. I was ready for this message to come through and I wept because I could suddenly see my soul and how lonely it had been from me. It, had, it was un. I, I was being unseen by me. How awful does that feel? And yet I had a narrative in my head that, oh, my parents haven't seen me since I was a kid. Like my parents don't get me. Like, don't they know how freaking important my mission is? Blah, 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 stupid stuff. Well, my kids certainly don't see me and all the effort I put into them. And like, you know, then it boils down to stupid things like, don't they appreciate this, the school debt that I'm carrying for them and blah, blah, it's stupid stuff. I wasn't being unseen by those around me. I was being unseen by my freaking self. It's awful, embarrassing, horrific narrative of what it means to be human as a masculine archetype. You literally cannot see yourself. You think you're some sort of structure and you have forgotten that the purpose of the structure was for flow. And so you are stagnant. I have been stagnant. I am a being that is becoming complete in my understanding of myself, but I have always been a complete being. It was the only way I would exist. And if I am a complete being, then there is no way that I need anything because I am already complete. Right now, we are a series of narratives in our heads of how much everybody else owes us for all the thing we're doing for them and how much we owe them for all the, the duty that we think is our love. And it's a pathetic list on both sides. And it is a failure to understand that we are all complete, miraculous, spiritual beings light energy for sure, lighting it up. And whether you like it or not, or whether you're aware of it or not, whether you even believe a word I'm saying or not, your second wing is freaking opening. And I have deep conviction of that because the Achwar have dreamed it. And if they can dream it, then it's real. <laughs> they have seen humanity fly straight. And when we went down there, it was the middle of Delta virus version of Corona. 
right before we would have Omicron or whatever we came up with next. And all these people were like, my God, you guys are going down in the middle of Delta virus to the Amazon. You're going to, you're probably going to bring Delta and wipe out the entire indigenous traces of the universe. And then we are going to hold you responsible for that. You guys are so irresponsible. It's ridiculous. You guys are criminals. You're going to threaten those indigenous people with your toxic virus that you're carrying from San Francisco. There's a lot of toxic things in San Francisco we shouldn't take to the indigenous people for sure. But we, so the leaders, Bill calls up, you know, tribal leadership down there in the Amazon says, you know, there's a lot of concern up here. How are you guys feeling about coronavirus, the pandemic? We're not worried. We, we, we saw the pandemic coming. We all got sick. Uh, the, of the 40,000 people in our group, we lost six to coronavirus when it first came through. Six of our elders passed with something akin to what you guys are calling coronavirus. So we all did ayahuasca and we went out in the jungle and the jungle simply told us which five plants we needed to treat this thing with. So we've been making that stuff ever since and we haven't lost anybody since. So we're good. We got this figured out. And so Bill calls me up and it was like, you know, does this seem adequate? Like they're, they're treating themselves with plants and all that. And like, can we go down there with confidence? And we're like, yeah, man, I, I think, yeah, I, I'm not, don't, why are you even calling me? Like, trust them. Like, I have no idea what they, what do you, you know? And so we get down there and still pretty anxious. Like we had weird rules, like, you know, they're, they're not going to mask, but you need a mask and. But maybe if we were there for a day, we don't need a mask. We couldn't figure it out. Like there's a lot of cognitive dissonance obviously going on in the group. So I got down there and I, I seriously wanted to know, again, kind of firsthand what was their perspective. And so our tour guide, uh, who I fell in love with, he was such an awesome human being. Um, <laughs> he was learning English and he was very eager to practice his English. And so he uh, sat down with uh, me and I was trying to speak his care you know simply as i could about coronavirus and concerns about it and get their perspective and we stumbled through a few of my questions and his answers to it and i said you know you know we're just concerned about you know bringing something that you guys can't handle kind of thing and all this and he laughed and he said you know uh, i don't i don't know if you've understood what we've been telling you the last few days but we've dreamed the end of humanity and it did not have to do with coronavirus <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shoot, you did tell me that a couple of days ago. And I, somehow I had conveniently forgotten that I was the problem, that I was the existential threat to all of life on Earth. I forgot. And it was a, a wonderful light moment for him, which made it a lighter moment for me. But I think it's something for us all to reflect on today is that uh, there's a wing opening up within us and we need to give it permission to open up. So will you look at the people around you when you go home and just have that conversation with them? We're going to all double our scale just by opening up the other wing. We're going to double our, our, our wingspan just by that one thing. But then when we start flying, we're going to cover a lot more distance as a species. Can we right now write each other permission slips that say, I not only forgive you on whatever form it needs to take from here, I invite you to open up that wing and fly, fly, because I love you.
I really do love you. I know I've been broken in the way and I communicate with you. I know I sell you short. I know I sell myself short, but I do love you because I have had the grace and opportunity to see you in ways that nobody else has ever seen you. I've seen you so frustrated and broken and exhausted, and I've seen you elated and enjoy and maybe giving birth, and I've seen all these aspects of who you are, and I do love you, and I am sorry that I am deficient in my ability to recognize it and speak it when I see it. But I love you, and I invite you to fly forward for all of us. We have to have these conversations, and they have to be pretty literal. They have to be concrete of what are we going to allow each other to do. And frankly, I hope that it's not me and Ray Archuleta and the rest of us up here next time. I hope it's a bunch of new double-winged creatures up here showing us something so beautiful we can't imagine it. We, the, the age of the guru is done. It, 2017 was the death nail in the age of the, but there is no such thing as death. What happened to the gurus? They became birds. They started to fly, some of them. They also became human and crashed hard into egoic endpoints. It's just normal. It's going to be one or the other. And we don't have to feel judgment over either one. It's irrelevant whether you feel like that was a good guru or a bad guru. Good guru goes on to sail on and say, y'all got it. You don't need me anymore. The other one finds out it's all sexual abuse and traumatic stuff. And we say, oh, that guru fell off the tracks. Or No, it's just a human being that was trying to open it up its wings faster than the rest of us. And so it was a bumpy flight. We knocked him out of the air probably. But that energy has now transmuted. And the call at the fabric level of nature is that every single one of you becomes your own thought leader. And it will happen when you find that silent vibration within you that is unique to you. You are a vibrational being. And you are obviously capable of great things because you showed up right now. And the Ashwar tribe saw that if they helped the West redream their future, the end of mankind would not happen. And so for all of the reality that an indigenous people saw our endpoint, they also saw our future. So they understand the dichotomy of it. They understand that we have to hold both possibilities at the same time. Because if we do go extinct, I want to make sure I do it as a bison. I want to make sure I do it like a sardine, where I realize that endpoint is a birth, a birth, not a rebirth, a birth. We are going to birth 7.9 maybe, it's going to be 9 billion by that time, whatever the number, we're going to birth 9 billion souls into their full vibrational state, unlimited by their human journey, by the human traumas, by the human sadness, by the human abuses, unlimited because it is a vibrational state that cannot carry the memory or the reality of flesh injuries cannot remember those, cannot take those forwards. We are going to birth 9 billion energy souls back out into the universe in these next few decades. And when those launch, it is going to be a firework show that all of the universe is going to pay attention to. And frankly, that's why I think we are getting so much attention from the universe right now. If you believe in angels or you believe in aliens or whatever extraterrestrial thing that's come into your mind, that is real. 
because you've thought it, because you are a dreamer. And the difference between dreams and reality is there's no doubt in your dreams. Your dreams are the real thing. This reality is the fake thing. It's the egoic expression of an unbalanced state of fabric of universe. It is not real. It is a faltering within the fabric of the universe. It is just a speed bump towards our re-entry into the knowledge field. And as one of us, one species, makes that leap into extinction, it is a vibrational possibility that will birth new intelligence on the planet. So I told you that there was an extinction 60 million years ago because of an asteroid that wiped out the topsoil, that acidified the oceans. And we lost 95% of life. And Mother Earth never tried to reinvent that because at that moment, everything went into the spiritual realm. Everything went into pure light form. Every dinosaur, every bat, every fish in the sea, whoo, full state, full light being state, instantly. Whoo. And that collective energy looked down back on this little blue speck and said, wow, so much more potential. Let's do deciduous trees. Let's do flowering plants. Let's do mammals. Let's do humans. The energy of the brontosaurus is in us. The energy of the woolly mammoth is in us. The energy of all living life is in us. It is animating the energy on this planet. It looks back and sees nothing but possibility, opportunity. We're all going to do it. We're all going to blow up these physical bodies in one way or another. How are we going to get there? What is it going to feel like as your other wing starts to open? More clarity. The clarity will startle you. What you actually need to be doing with your life will startle you. Who you actually are will startle your partner maybe more than anybody else because they have the most preconceived notions at this point as to who you are. It will be startling when you say, do you want to see my full beauty? Because I just saw it. Do you want to see my full beauty? Because I just felt it. Do you want to see how big I can get? Because I'm daring to do it right now. For the first time, I'm going to stretch. I am a light being and I showed up at the tipping point of all things to step into a creative flow state and I am no longer a consumer. I am a creator. And I can imagine, I can dream a future in which my children and grandchildren have freedom. A freedom that has never existed in the human mind because we were limited by a masculine archetype that knew no relevance of the flow state. Knew not how to reach it within each individual. I can see that space and so it gets me back on stage again when I feel a deep ache in my heart when I don't know if there's energy for me to get back on a plane and go talk tomorrow again. But then I step up and I feel the energy within me. And I'm like, that freaking feeling in my chest is gone. And I can feel it filled with light again because it's not from me. It is from the divine. So where does the masculine energy that builds the thing happen? From the divine. What is it that flows through it? It is the feminine of the divine. The masculine and the feminine that flows through us, I got to see this in great detail in a meditation a few months ago. It is so freaking beautiful. And I told myself in this meditation, in this recording, it says, 
Zach, it is not a double helix. Because I had had in my head that this feminine masculine winding together was a double helix. Zach, it is a quadrahelix. This is a shape I had never imagined, a word I had never said. The feminine masculine combining inside of a human being is a quadrahelix. I'm still diving deep on what that means. But it turns out that when you take two double helixes and you put them in a 90 degree relationship to each other, you do create a grid system that I described to you earlier. And it is in a grid system that sure enough is cubic all the way through, except that the twist happens as you start to every other block, kick one of those into the diagonal. And you create this perfect spiraling action of two double helices that are there. The next day, asking deep questions to the universe of, I need to understand this quadrahelix. I dropped into another one, meditation that morning, and this time for three hours in Spanish, which I, I know a little bit of Spanish. It was my undergraduate major and stuff like that, but it had been 20 years since I'd fluently spoke Spanish. For three hours, I was speaking in Spanish, but it wasn't me speaking. It was a jaguar that I was face to face with. And this jaguar was raining inside of it. And I couldn't figure out the rain for some time. And I'm speaking to it in Spanish and going through this whole dialogue with this jaguar. And the jaguar says to me, I am not raining. I am crying. I am crying because humanity cannot see itself. And so I spent a long time in Spanish consoling this jaguar. And I can re still remember what it felt like to have my hand on the back of the neck of this jaguar. I was petting this jaguar. And I knew it was the mother of the jungle. So I'm petting the jaguar and I'm having this experience and this meditation is blowing my mind out. And I'm in this space and suddenly in Spanish, it turns out there's gender identity on lots of different structures, you know, and uh, it suddenly came to me that el jaguar is actually la jaguar and el jaguar, el jaguar, la jaguar. And I knew this was the mother. And it suddenly the language itself started intertwining itself in my head. El madre, la madre, el madre, la madre, el madre, la madre, el madre, la madre. So fast, and swirling and swirling and swirling. And pretty soon I could see that this, this mother of creation, this mother of the rainforest had both masculine and feminine within the feminine of the woman. The quadrahelix in the end is a three-dimensional structure that actually solves for the mathematics of the yin-yang structure. The yin-yang, you'll remember, is white on one side and black on the other, but each of the sides has the opposite color dot in it. The white side has a black dot. The black side has a white dot. And it turns out what that's showing us in a two-dimensional picture is the phenomenon of two energies, a masculine and feminine, both of which inside of also have the masculine and feminine, and they intertwine in this quadrahelix. The stable structure of all things is the masculine within the feminine, the feminine within the masculine, and the whole thing intertwines. I don't know if that's relevant to you or my mind yet, but it's pretty freaking interesting because it turns out that that yin-yang was the mathematical representation of a black hole which is the thing that creates solar systems and galaxies. In the center of our galaxy, the Milky Way, when you look up and you see that stripe of stars that shoots through the sky like a, or like a LP on its side, that's a record for people. That record on its side, that disc spinning out of the middle of the black hole, 
That's called the event horizon. So the black hole pulls all of the light energy into it from grand expanses of space. The black hole pulls all of that light in. And remember, light is simply a wave with high potential to become a particle. And as it shoots into the energetic transformational state of the center of the black hole, it spits out the event horizon in the particle state and you get stars and galaxies and you get solar systems and you get asteroid belts shooting out of the center of the black hole because it has organized light energy into particle state. Nothing exists if there are not black holes. And the black hole, it turns out, is two tetrahedrons pushed together into a double tetrahedron. That double tetrahedron holds 64 smaller tetrahedrons within it to be called a 64 double tetrahedron. That's some pretty fancy math that all these astrophysicists came up with to solve for the shape of a black hole. 64 double tetrahedron happens to be the three-dimensional shape of the Star of David. The 64 double tetrahedron also happens to be the Muslim star. The 64 double tetrahedron, when you shine light down through it, it makes a shape on the ground in two dimensions, and it's the flower of life. The flower of life is a perfect two-dimensional projection of a 64 double tetrahedron, which is literally the shape of all of the creative force of the universe, which is a black hole. And we can look back as far as human history, and we find models of the flower of life in all epicenters of knowledge. The oldest ones are sitting under the, the paws of the lions at the gates of the palace in China that guarded the, the royal knowledge. Under the paws of those lions that were carved some 4,000 years ago are these big spheres that are cut with the flower of life. And if you go to the first book of Ezekiel, which is my favorite book of the Bible, always was when I was a kid, freaked my parents out. It was the first sign that there was going to be a problem. <laughs> If you go and read the first chapter of the book of Ezekiel, it tells you of Ezekiel's dream when he saw the likeness of the glory of God. And it is a very long, confusing description of angelic creatures called seraphim. And then the shape and structure of the seraphim. And next to them are these intersecting wheels that are covered with eyes. And the more you read those and the, what he's trying to describe, and then you look at what's under the paws of the lions, you realize he was seeing a black hole next to each one of the seraphim that was creating everything in the universe. And what was being created in the universe coming out of that event horizon of the black holes that were following each of the seraphim around. And the seraphim's job, it turns out in scripture, are these are the beings that would carry out the intention of God. And so he sees these winged creatures. And we've put very human experiential you know, models of this where they have birds, wings, all that. No, these are energetic centers that have wild, you know, multiple stranded, you know, wing-like structures that span off of them. We've come to think of them as feathered wings, but they are energetic centers swirling and they never need to turn. They move, it describes in detail their movement and they never turn left or right, but they move in all three dimensions simultaneously. I mean, these are this Ezekiel at this point is on a full out acid trip and looking at the, the origin of the universe. And he describes next to them the, the flower of life and the black holes. The reason why this is relevant to you and me is because in the last 10 years, the astrophysicists have come to the realization that the atomic physicists who were studying the single atom 
had the wrong model of the proton. And they knew this because an incredible paper in 2010 was written called The Universal Scaling Law. And you guys have got to be wondering where the hell this conversation is going at this point. But The Universal Scaling Law was written by a few scientists out of the School of Mines in 2010, 2012 kind of time zone. And what they showed was in this extremely simple graph, they've plotted from highest point to lowest point, the frequency of resonance of everything in the universe. The highest frequency, the shortest wavelength of anything in the universe is Planck's constant, which is the, the vibrations, the wavelength of the vibration of the electromagnetic field in a vacuum. So this high vibrational frequency is everywhere. It fills all of the universe, Planck's constant, highest vibration, tiniest thing lowest mass of anything ever measured, highest frequency. The, on the other side, the lowest frequency, the base node of all things is the universe itself, which has a measured wavelength of vibration. The whole universe has a unified vibrational wavelength that has been heard and measured. There is a heartbeat to the entire universe. It's been measured. You put that as the longest frequency at the bottom of that, and then you scale out the diameter of these things on the other axis. So you have frequency by diameter. And it turns out that all physical structures line up perfectly on that line. Their frequency against their diameter of existence is on a perfect mathematical line through all space and time, except for the shape of the proton. It was, or the mathematical density of a proton was way off the line. And so the, Nassim Haramein told the world, we've got the wrong model of the proton. After a few years of math, he solved that the structure of the proton that puts it dead center eye back on the line again is a black hole. The proton in every center of every atom on everything in the periodic chart is a black hole. It is a double tetrahedron, 64 double tetrahedron. It is an event horizon in itself. It creates the atomic structure in all physical matter out of organizing light energy into physical structure. How do you disappear and reappear every millionth of a second? We know you do that, but how do you keep reappearing as you? Because you are a physical expression coming out of billions of black holes that are communicating. And we already knew that the black holes were all communicating because in the astrophysicists had identified wormholes that connected all the black holes of all the, all of the galaxies of the universe together. There is a single data bank of information of all things that have ever been in the universe, and it is held within the information stream of the black holes that are sharing all the information all the time. And they are being expressed in the event horizon of galaxies everywhere, billions of galaxies. If you haven't seen that Hubble telescope picture of the darkest segment of our sky, you need to go look that up. Hubble telescope, darkest section of the sky. That should be enough on a Google search to show you the reality. So we took Hubble and we pointed it out into the darkest segment of space we could find. And the picture that came back is billions of, of galaxies in the darkest section of space. There are so many event horizons happening out there. There is so much new matter being formed from the vibrational potential of light that it boggles any part of the human mind or our imagination. It is physically impossible, mathematically impossible that we are the only expression of life from all of those black holes. Not possible in my mind. But whether you believe we're the only life in the universe or not, I can tell you something beautiful is 
Just as we look into the darkest segment and see a billion black holes and their expression, we can take a telescope in reverse and microscopically look it down into your structure to show you that you are a cosmos. And every single one of your atoms is a group of protons, each of which is in the structure of a black hole, which means it's capable of creating physical structure out of light energy. And so the mitochondria that are releasing solar energy within you is being sucked into the void of every proton within you and spit back out with the intention of making you. That's pretty freaking cool. But it's not the coolest thing that came out of that paper. The coolest part of that paper for me that makes me weep every time is that in that universal scaling law, if you look at the biggest thing in the universe, which is the universe itself and its vibration to the smallest thing, Planck's constant and its vibration, dead center mathematically in the entire universe is human biology. And so the conclusion of the paper was not that the proton structure was wrong. That was pretty obvious in this thing. The conclusion of the paper is that human biology and anything in the galaxies beyond us that suit the physical structures that we that are similar to our size and structure are the event horizon of all of creation. We are the center point. This state of existence that we share together is the center point mathematically of everything that's ever existed in the universe. That's the universal scaling laws message. You are on hallowed ground. You animate at a scale that is very mathematically perfect, sits at the center point of all existence. And so when we open up our second wing and we start to fly a straight line as humanity for the first time, and you get to see your own completeness for the first time and you realize all the needs that you thought you had are non-existent because you are complete right now, you are full right now, you have absolute connection to all things in the universe, the whole thing solves for itself. And we will stop killing each other over nothing. And we will stop thinking death is an endpoint, and we will see it as an evolution of possibility. We will see it as a, a rising up of potential. And so when we see elders that are approaching the veil, we will rush towards them to be present at the bedside, and we will hold their hands, and we will say, we see your beauty, and we know you've been here, and you are precious, and we remember you. And you are remembered and you will pass beyond the veil. And at the moment you are, we're going to hold on for a moment to that energy. We're going to put our arms around your energetic field. And as you let go of that physical body, we will rise with you for a moment. And we will meet you right on the other side of the veil. And we will know you are there. And we will give reverence to who you are. And we will not build nursing homes that look like nursing homes anymore. And we will look at a child and we can say, we see you. You are freaking beautiful and you are here and you are a soul that is ancient that showed up on purpose at the tipping point. We can't wait to find out what you dream. Please don't let my thoughts and sense of responsibility pollute the potentials of your dreams. Please don't let me tell you no ever again. Instead, let me say, what if? What if? Maybe so. Mom, can I do this? Mom, can I do that? Would you like to? What part of you would like to? Is it the scared part of you or the hopeful part of you? Is the part that feels huge in you that wants to do that or is the part that feels small and scared and disconnected? And they can be, then that kid's like, wait, what? Oh no, it's just the scared little part of me. No, no, my big part's totally good. They're gonna understand the conversation better than your partner will. 
these kids are ready to have the big discussion with us because they showed up right now, one generation, two generations closer to the cliff. The courage of the children that are jumping into the bodies of autistic journeys right now is beyond bonkers. That courage, that level of tolerance of pain has never been witnessed before. One in 30 children jumping into these bodies now, knowing their path, I believe. My most overwhelming patient that I have had in 30 years, I'm so grateful I got to see this year. Couldn't see him in my clinic because he can't travel. Severely affected autistic gentleman. He's now 17, 18 years old. He was, non, he was totally verbal and an expressive kid having a beautiful life unfold and then got a vaccine injury at age you know, 18 months and disappeared from his parents. And he was nonverbal for many years. And finally, they found a therapist that uh, learned, uh, learned him or learned with him how he can communicate through letterboard, which is basically like kind of a giant type, typing board, but they organize them differently in a, in a more logical pattern than a keyboard was laid out. And they teach these kids how to speak through letterboards. And he started to converse a lot through letterboard and he even had a couple of stuttering words for a little while. And then at age 14, he said his last sentences that he had, had said since. And uh, in the last sentence he typed on this letterboard, it took him 45 minutes to write the words. He said to his parents, I have been put on a path of great suffering, period managed to put a period on it. I have been put on a path of great suffering. And boy, does the suffering look terrible for this child. He's so overwhelmed by the sensory experience of being alive in his five senses and in the disconnect from the reality that he sees around himself, that he hurts himself all the time to create enough pain to help him focus enough away from the cacophony of inputs. At the end of the day, he's always bleeding. He's often put his fist or his head through a wall, bleeding, blood stains on the drywall. His parents, every couple months, go about the house doing drywall repair, trying to fix things up, try to cover up all the blood. His arms are, are chewed up by his own scratching of his own arms. His parents' arms are chewed up, scratched. Their faces are scratched, bit. They've had every part of their bodies bit or bleeding over time. And they've never institutionalized this child because they understand this child is part of their journey and is part of them. It's some expression of their own journey towards source. And then amazingly, that kid wrote a second sentence. About 30 minutes later, he regained focus and sat back down to his parents' surprise. And he wrote a second sentence. It said, but my Lord and my Savior will deliver me. Period. And that was the last thing he said to them. And then things have continued to mount into more intense versions of their previous selves because he had to go through puberty. He's now 18 years old and he's six feet tall, 180 pounds, bigger than his mother by almost twice her weight. She's a tiny little thing. And she takes all the pounding every day in love, love for this child. So I went and visited this family for the first time. I'd seen the parents and their other two kids in my clinic before. Went and saw this family and their home. And their home is beautiful. And that there's two human beings that can walk the walk they've walked as parents together 
and have a home that's looks every bit as intact and more organized than my home boggles my mind. It was so humbling to be in the presence of this home and see the level of suffering in this home, the chaos and the constant patient mother redirecting her son every couple seconds to help protect him from hurting them or himself. And we sat and we had a meal that was pure chaos and pure beauty all at once. And it was extraordinary to witness that this kid started to eat for the first time in a period of time. He'd only been doing liquids and he started to put solid food in his mouth during this one meal together. And mom was startled and she was speaking to it. Over these last few months, that kid has started to come into more coherence and he is starting to write on his letterboard again. And the things that he is writing now has been very scarce, but one word at a time, he's starting to talk about beauty, starting to talk about the structure of things. The chaos that we see around us is necessary because we've only had one wing open for a long time. And we are beating ourselves against the proverbial wall or maybe grinding against the ground. I don't know where we're at, but the exhaustion you feel in your body and your mind and your spirit right now is real at the fabric of reality of human egoic universe. This fake reality that we've all created together, it is universally running out of energy. And the children that are being born into that cannot cope with the old paradigm. And the beautiful thing about autism, when we see these children emerge from the chaos of their minds and we put enough resources around them to detox their bodies and help them move into some sort of semblance of biology, we find psyches within those children that cannot be programmed with any external beliefs. Why do we have one in 30 children with an autism spectrum disorder? Because we are birthing a generation of beings that cannot be programmed with all of your bullshit. They cannot. It will not happen. They are showing up in suffering to say, here is the line in the sand, people. We are souls that showed up right now to draw the line in the sand that says, you shall not pass here. And so we hear other prophecies coming in from indigenous peoples. One of them, this prophecy coming in the last 20 years or so, has stated that in the, the, the decade between 2017 and 2027, humanity will go through an evolution never seen before because they will lose the genetics of fear and guilt. Whew. That's every bit as good as getting a second wing, to lose the genetics of fear and guilt. So weird that it came through in that way. We didn't lose the emotions of fear and guilt. We lost the genetics of fear and guilt. And so there might be a silver lining on a massive vaccine program put out in a story of fear and guilt that would genetically modify our species for the first time directly. I don't know what the ramifications are. I don't mean, I don't know if we, we see a huge death toll from that or maybe just a direct evolution of us. I have no idea, but I can't believe it's a coincidence that for the first time we rolled out globally billions and billions of doses of a genetically engineered device to change our genetics at the moment, right in the midst of the decade when we would lose the genetics of fear and guilt as predated concept of a prophecy. We are on hallowed ground. We are here blessed to be part of the great awakening, the great opening 
of a species which is an expression of all life in its history. All life on the planet now expresses itself in its highest intelligence because we are the best CPU chip, we are the best integrator of information of all species. And we can tell narratives like this to each other and we can feel the emotions for sure, which is again a human construct, but really the emotions are simply a human understanding of something that is real, which is vibration. I am vibrating words into space and time, but I am sending out information between the words that is not of my own knowing. Between my words lies a vibration that is making you cry, that is making you hope, that is making you feel hopeless maybe. Whatever you are feeling is not about the words I'm saying, it's the vibrations that are coming through your body right now. Your interpretation and integration of that information will take on a million different forms. And I ask you not to do my walk. And I ask you not to do the walk of this child who is suffering, but whose Lord and Savior will deliver him. I'm asking you to be aware, as the bison are aware, that we are able to cross the veil. And we can get back into a spiritual sense of identity and fly and bring that information back and let's do it in the body this time. For too long, we've been waiting till the moment of death to become ourselves. For too long, we have been waiting for the moment of death to become ourselves completely. And I loved being a hospice doctor because I got to hear a moments of truth, moments before they crossed the veil. 80 patients a week dying on my service. For four years, I did that churn. That's a lot of souls making the transition. That's a big sardine group making their swim. And I never heard anybody say, I wish I had worked harder. And so if we are going to become the real version of ourselves, we will work less to realize more. We have been human doing because we were a masculine archetype. When we become human beings, we will be in the flow state and we will realize we are not the source of that which will be created through us. We are the combination of the masculine structure of existence. This is what yoga is about. Bring your body into alignment. This is Qigong, this is Tai Chi. This is all of the martial arts. This is what breath does, is open up the chest to be a bigger resonance chamber for your soul expression within yourself. That's the masculine archetype is the structure that you are supposed to be able to hum within. It is the instrument. It is the body of the cello. It is the body of the guitar. It is the strum across the strings that vibrate the, the, the feminine flow state into that instrument. The cello will never make a sound for all of its masculine shapeliness and archetype. You have to flow energy through it before it can make a sound. You are a finely tuned instrument to self. Your structure is unique. I want you to go home, look in the mirror and celebrate your structure because it is here right now, which means it's a critical resonance chamber for the symphony of life on earth or else it would not have been created from the event horizon of the billions of billions of protons within you that are manifesting your physical form, your particle state, your structure that allows you to hug somebody tight, that physicalness is because you are the expression of light energy and it's perfect right now. Whatever shape and form, we, we beat each other up a lot. That we're more obese than we used to be. We're more 
you know, lower body temperature than we were before. It's all freaking perfect. Whatever is happening right now is ordained and it is perfect, even if we do not understand its chaos and seeming brokenness. I think I'm nearing the completeness because I don't think I can vibrate any more than I am right now. I feel like I could jump through the sky right now, right? Thank you for taking me into a healing event in the last hour. I came in here feeling depleted, exhausted, broken, hopeless. I'm leaving here vibrating again because you've given me permission to flow. You became the black hole that would pull the energy out of me. I didn't know what I would say and it got said because of you. You pulled the energy through me and it manifested a bunch of words. But inside of you now is so much new information and light energy that has nothing to do with my words but for my light. I have poured my light into you and you will manifest new particle state from that. You will grow new plants. You will nurture new animals. You will birth new children. You will create physical structure out of the light that I have poured in and that you pour into one another as we go into real community. I would ask that you grab phone numbers of a few people around you because there is nobody else in the 7.9 billion people that can have the conversation we just had. And so you're gonna go home and be like, oh shoot, how did we get there? How did we do that? What was happening there? What did, how did I feel like that for a moment? Let me do that every day. Please grab a few phone numbers around you and agree to check in with each other. Check in with each other honestly. Call up in a week and be like, seemed like it was pretty good. I think Zach's got an idea. Doesn't fit my reality. My reality is shitstorm. <laughs> well, I'm a microbiome doctor, and I can tell you that's where all life started. It's the origin of everything. Was the, was the feces of the dinosaurs. So we are right at our brink of rebirth. Not rebirth, but birth. We are going to birth something new from humanity because we are and have been dreamt into a reality where we will fly straight. I am honored to be witness to the beauty of each of you. I'm honored to be part of your community. And you are now light beings going out into the universe of humanity, more aware of your own beauty, therefore more powerful than you've ever been. Practice again and again, because tonight I might run out of hope again. And so we need community. We need connectedness. We need the fiber optic cables between every one of our 70 trillion cells so we don't get cancer. We need 70 trillion new connections between the 7.9 billion people so that we stop being the cancer on the planet. How do we stop being the cancer on the planet? We connect. What does it mean to have a regenerative farm? Everything is connected. We stop disrupting the connections. What does it mean to be in a regenerative relationship? You believe in connections to everything around you, not just your nuclear family. We need to move from an exclusive contract of love to an inclusive state of love. What does that look like? I have no idea. What does it look like to fly straight as humanity? I have no idea. What does it look like to be a yin yang and a human? I have no idea but I believe we are scratching the surface of that potential and we are about to see the form shift happen. And if you see me next time and I've got some tail or two heads, just know I'm getting closer, getting closer to what a quadrahelix looks like in biologic form. Praise God. Crazy stuff's gonna happen and we gotta suspend our disbelief and we need to stop putting our old judgment on about what's to happen. 
Do not limit it by your judgment. The last line in the Course of Miracles, massive tome of work. The last thing I will do in this physical body is let go of judgment. It's the last line. So if we're going to birth something other than these old physical bodies that flew in circles, that believed in a masculine archetype that ground reality into non-existence, then we're going to have to light up the other side. We're going to have to give the forgiveness and give the potential, give the freedom for new expression. We're so close. I'm so curious to see how beautiful you get because what I can see already would be hard to describe. You are galaxies, you are universes, you are galactic, you are solar events, you are light beings, you are anything we can imagine, angels, aliens, we're all of it. We are the expression of life in the universe and we just need to step into the moment. And we just did it for a few hours together here in a field under a sky that everybody's looking at, under the stars that we've all seen since we were children. Half those stars might already be gone. We have no idea, but we can still see their light. They may have passed on. Maybe those stars are actually the humans around us and the remembrance of their energy as stars still burn bright up there. And we're gonna be startled when we wake up one morning and suddenly the Big Dipper's gone and we find out it's our community. It just transmuted into one of the 7.9 billion souls. And maybe it's the buffalo and the bison. Maybe it's the chickens and the turkeys. God bless the turkey in the back of your truck that's refusing to get off her eggs. They've been driving this pickup truck around for hundreds of miles and this turkey just still hanging out on her eggs in the back of the truck. That's some patience. That's a mother that sees a vision. You can take me where you want. I'm birthing children. I'm a turkey. Woo, chicks are coming. I'm staying. That's a beautiful story. Look around at nature and be in awe because nature knows itself. Nature does not struggle in the morning to know itself. It does not go or sleep with a bunch of insecurities about what it means to be a turkey. It knows and never does it worry about the end of anything. But it is part of the hope and part of the inspiration towards what's about to happen. Thank you all. It's an honor to be among you. Blessings on your travels. Wow. Just wow. If you were like me, you might just need to find some peace and quiet after listening to something like that. So go out there, find a nice sit spot, preferably in the light of the sun preferably touching the earth with your hands or your feet and contemplate. There's so much wisdom here that's not humanly possible to upload it all at once. And as with all our episodes featuring Dr. Zach Bush, this is the story that keeps giving. So when you are ready, listen to it again and again and again. Each time you will hear something new and you will feel a return in hope of humanity. To connect further with Dr. Zach Bush, I encourage you to learn more about him. Go to ZachBushMD.com or you can head over to one of his many amazing nonprofits. My favorite is obviously going to be Farmer's Footprint. 
So you can head over to farmersfootprint.us and they are celebrating, they're amplifying really amazing, encouraging stories from farmers, from people who are getting their hands dirty and are devoting their lives to envisioning a more beautiful and more profound future for all of us. If you are feeling inspired and you want to come out and co-create with us at our third annual, this is our third year of our What Good Shall I Do conference, sponsored, put on by the forces of the force of nature. Um, We invite you to come out. That's April 19th through 20th, 2024. So this is a heads up. We just launched the website. Tickets are available. This event always sells out. It takes place right here in Fredericksburg, Texas. This year, we have speakers that include Alejandro Carrillo, Fred Provenza, Regi Haslet Marquin, Ali Miller, Alan Williams, Taylor Dukes, Adam Russell, Kate Kavanaugh, Emily Toops, Andy Marsh, Adam Pascorius, Morgan Weeks, Brent Tella, and Eben Britton, just to name a few. It's going to be a phenomenal event this year. Force of Nature is designing this experience to be very hands-on, to be something in which we encourage you and empower you to get your hands dirty and dig deep. So you can head over to forceofnature.com and get your ticket for the 2024 What Good Shall I Do event. We can't wait to see you there. This is Mother Nature's battle cry for action. This is Digging Deep. Farewell, friends.